and welcome into another edition of the Mutant Blitz Podcast. I am your host, Josh Hennig. I want to get this podcast in before the Black Panther movie, Wakanda Forever, comes out this weekend because I don't want what happened in the last few weeks to get forgotten and buried and completely... Because once this movie comes out, it's going to be the hottest topic all the way through Thanksgiving. And by the time Thanksgiving comes around, they're going to have the Guardians of the Galaxy you know, holiday Christmas special and people's attention is going to be all, all over the place. So let's get this conversation in now. This is the Mutant Bliss Podcast. I am your host, Josh Hennig. And of course, we are live on my YouTube channel at Josh Hennig as well as downloadable Search the Mutant Blitz Podcast on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and more. So here's two things we're getting into. It's it's a partial explanation of Werewolf by Night on Disney Plus, but it's also a further explanation of where the MCU is going. Because I feel like there's been so much news, and the the news came out this week that kind of cleaned things up, but Honestly, I don't know how many people actually saw that news. I'm being real with you guys. I don't know how many people have actually been able to follow the news because guess what? There was an election yesterday. And considering as of 7.32 on November 9th, Eastern Standard Time, that we still don't know who won some of those uh, elections yesterday, it's a fiasco. So people's attention are obviously distracted. And I mean, obviously, as a friend of mine said, if you watched every Phillies game during the World Series run, or if you're an Astros fan, you watched every game during that run, uh, you probably saw every political commercial ever made on planet Earth. It was ridiculous. So let's get into this. So last month, Marvel pulled a very cool move. They, they released a special feature presentation called Werewolf by Night on Disney+. And I've told you guys before here on the podcast that what Marvel is doing is that they are laying the groundwork. And they basically confirmed this in recent weeks, what I've been saying for about a year now. That all of Phase 4, excuse me, is laying the groundwork for Phases 5 and 6 coming up. And the reason why that's important is because that explains everything. It explains why they're being introduced to all these new characters. It explains why they're going in the direction they're going with certain characters. Why there's been these random crossovers that nobody saw coming. You know, supposedly, I haven't seen Black Panther Wakanda forever. I'm going to see it this weekend, but apparently there's uh, two pretty serious Marvel cameos in it that certain people didn't see coming. Um, you know, I'll I'll see for myself if it was something I saw coming or not, but... Um, I think that I want to start with Werewolf by Night because Werewolf by Night um, is a special that really gives a better explanation for where Marvel is going with their universe on two specific fronts. First of all is the front that's the obvious one, which is they're introducing characters that have to do with the supernatural, okay? So if you go back to Marvel Comics in the 1970s, Werewolf by Night was one of the characters who was 
uh, brought back into the mainstream in what was the first modification to the comic code. So just to give you a, a really Reader's Digest quick history of, of comic book history. In the 1950s, there was a decision made that they had to regulate comics. They basically believed that comic books got too, they got too gory, they got too excessive, they got too, you know, it wasn't for kids anymore, right? So what they did was is they wanted to regulate what is known as um, the adult genre content. Now, obviously, what they called the adult genre content is basically PG, PG-13 in today's world. So read into that what you will. But what happened was is they made putting a lot of things in comics illegal, and one of them was monsters, vampires, characters like that. So when they were allowed to bring those characters back in the early 1970s, this is where famous comic authors Jerry Conway and Roy Thomas come into the picture. Because Jerry Conway and Roy Thomas were two guys who were handpicked by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and others at Marvel to basically learn the Marvel method and be a part of, you know, building the future of the comic book company. And, you know, if you have seen a Spider-Man movie, you've probably seen some of Roy Thomas's work on the big screen. If you have seen um, any of the Netflix uh, Marvel shows like Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Daredevil, you have seen some of Jerry Conway's influence in those shows. So that's who we're talking about here. We're talking about two of the guys who, they weren't the founding fathers of Marvel, but they were two of like the, you know, they, they were like the, you know, the second, the second guys basically in line. And they pitched this idea to Stan Lee and the folks at Marvel about, you know, well, if we're going to bring back the, the horror element, as they call it, let's do it with characters that people are familiar with. And then let's intermingle characters people aren't familiar with. So the idea was is werewolves and vampires. Well, how do they fit in with other characters? And that's where Werewolf by Night, the, the movie presentation on Disney Plus, comes from originally. And the show basically gives you a look into an element of the world that has not been explored in the Marvel Cinematic Universe before, but was already hinted at and suggested in previous films. Because we already know for a fact that at the end of Eternals, that when they showed that sword in the case, that that is what is known in the Marvel Comics as the Ebony Blade. It was a sword that is infused with ancient power. Well, if you watch Thor Love and Thunder, you recognize that the sword... The ebony blade looks a lot like the necro sword that was used by Gore the God Butcher to kill all the gods, lowercase g, in Thor Love and Thunder. So it seems like they're introducing a lot of elements here. And at the end of that scene, you saw Dane Whitman, his character, who would have, who's in the comics would become the Black Knight. He's going to become the Black Knight in the Marvel Cinematic Universe go to reach for the blade as his solution to go save Cersei from whatever kidnapped her. He doesn't know it's Celestials per se. I think he might know some details, but not all the details. 
and you hear the voice of the new actor who's going to be playing Blade turn and say, you sure you sure you're ready for that, Mr. Whitman? Well, Blade, Black Knight, Elsa Bloodstone, which is in Werewolf by Night, Jack Russell, who's introduced by Werewolf by Night, they are all part of the same circle of people. So what Marvel is doing is, is they're introducing all these characters, they're giving you certain things in the Eternals, they're giving you Werewolf by Night, they're giving you the Necrosword in Thor Love and Thunder, right? They're giving you all of these little suggestions, all these little hints, all these little things, because they're building toward bigger things. And one of the things they're building toward is the idea that when phases five and six are done, they're going to have a plethora of characters established that they are going to be able to tell more and more stories with. Because don't forget, Marvel Comics has been around for... Well, okay. Marvel Comics, as the average person knows it, has been around since the early 1960s. But numerous characters that are in Marvel Comics have been around since as far back as 1938, is when Namor was introduced, Namor the Submariner. So, you know, you're seeing Namor introduced in the Wakanda Forever movie this weekend. That's a character that goes back to the 1930s. And even Stan Lee had to make modifications to the character from when he was introduced in the 1930s to when he reintroduced him with the Fantastic Four in the 1960s. So, you know, there's so much history to draw off of with these characters. You know, you're talking about you know, the idea of monsters and, and uh, vampires and werewolves. And what you're doing is you're, you're playing around with stories and concepts and ideas that have been around for 70, 80 years, and you're trying to place them in the modern day, something that Marvel did in the comic form uh, in the early 2000s, and now they're using some of those concepts in the movies and in these shows. So... Werewolf by Night, to just give it a quick explanation, is Jack Russell, you're introduced to, shows up at the, I'll call it the funeral gathering for Ulysses Bloodstone, who was a, a well-known and famous monster hunter. And they spend part of the film kind of establishing the characters of their relevance to each other. Uh, they probably could have done a, a, a little better job at explaining the relevance of those characters to each other. I think this was the first time that Marvel uh, pulled a DC, though, in the fact that they uh, they kind of walked you in with the assumption that you knew what was going on a little bit too much. I think that was a mistake. But I think overall, it was, it was an incredibly done story about, you know, trying to hearken to the style of horror films of the 40s and 50s modernize it with Marvel concepts from the 70s, right? But modernize it for the 21st century. So it was a cool job. I thought um, for, for Michael Giancino, for his first directing ever at this level, uh, a guy who's a world-famous composer and guy who's been involved in movie production for decades, I thought he and his crew did a very good job at the presentation of it. I like the fact that you're introduced to Jack Russell before he becomes werewolf, so the audience 
gets to identify with him, the person, and not just the monster. And you see the connection he ends up having with Elsa Bloodstone. And then you see that as soon as she has the Bloodstone, or in this case, uh, another elemental force of nature in the comics that is being brought to the big screen, or at least the <laughs> Disney Plus screen, you're seeing that, you know, whereas the entire film feature presentation is black and white, as soon as she has the element in her hand, it's now we're back to color. And I think that that's a very interesting nod because you saw that in Thor Love and Thunder, when Gore was controlling his dimension without any resistance, it was all black and white. It was devoid of color is what Thor described it as. Well, as soon as Thor started using his powers and abilities, him and Jane, Mighty Thor and Thor Odinson, were using their powers in that dimension, the color and the light started coming back. And I think that what's being explained to subtly by Marvel is, is that the good guys represent light and color. And the bad guys represent darkness and nefarious things and, you know, in the shadows kind of stuff. And I don't think it's a coincidence that you've now been introduced to the Bloodstone, which is used to fight and control monsters, evil monsters usually. And you've been introduced to the Ebony Blade, the Necrosword, and you've already heard about Excalibur, which, according to Eternals, Athena creates for King Arthur back in the, the fourth century. So there's all this stuff being introduced, and I know it's a lot to absorb. It's a lot to, you know, process, but you got to accept that this is these are building blocks for what Marvel is doing. Now, how this relates to the future of the MCU is this. Down the road, I don't know exactly in what variation, because Marvel has been slowly releasing information about things. Don't forget, you know, a lot of um, their schedule plans have been changed in the aftermath of COVID and in the aftermath of the numerous changes of agreements um, that they're, they're trying to do. So, like, for example, you know, I don't know if Wakanda Forever was uh, actually supposed to be um, the, you know, the final movie of Phase 4. I have honestly no idea if that was the original plan. I I'm starting to think, based on everything I've seen, that it wasn't <laughs> the original plan. Uh, but it's obvious that Quantum Mania, Ant Man, and the Wasp three is going to be the start of Phase Five, uh, just because of its relevance and its placement and all that stuff. And where Werewolf by Night comes in is, I think that what you're going to see is at the start of Phase Six is where Blade is supposed to be placed in 2024. And it seems to me that you're introducing the characters in Werewolf by Night. You're introducing the concept of vampires and monsters, and that it's going to allow Blade to come in, do his thing, and then continue the attachments to other MCU elements. Because you heard mention in the show, you know, well, 
you know, there are the Avengers, they fight the monsters from outer space, but we fight the monsters from below. And it's not a coincidence that you introduced Man-Thing, and one of Man-Thing's jobs is supposed to be uh, be the guardian and protector of the nexus of the universe. And, well, Kang is the conqueror of time and space, and, you know, I could totally see, you know, Kang having a deal with Man-Thing at some point. So, you know, you already introduced Man-Thing, you're introducing Kang. It's all interconnected. I think that what Werewolf by Night also does is it, it allows Marvel to put a, a fun spin on a genre that has historically been, for the last 40 years, very dark, uh, very void of anything fun or enjoyable. I don't think it's a coincidence they try to you know put some humor in the Werewolf by Night. They try to add some, you know, fun elements. Like, you know, when Elsa turns to Man-Thing and calls him Ted, he stops what he's doing and he says, oh, you know my name, you know? And she's like, oh, I know your friend. He's like, oh, okay, you know. You know, things like that, it takes the idea that these characters are just, you know, what they've been stereotyped to be for many years, and they're creating an, a, an environment for them to survive and live and be that's not as nefarious and as dark and as um, devious as it had been previously. And I think that's always been the goal of Marvel Comics was to take concepts of historical fiction, science fiction, um, myth, mythology, take all these things and try to ground them in reality. And um, I think that what you're seeing by Werewolf by Night is more about what you're going to see in Phase 6 than anything else. Now, what that has to do with Wakanda Forever is this. I mentioned all the tiny little connections. Well, Wakanda Forever is going to bring in Namor the Submariner. And according to everything I've read and heard, Namor the Submariner and his role in the MCU is going to touch further on the history of the MCU. And that's important because the history of the MCU is going to be vital to the future of the MCU. Hear me out for a second. The big villain of phases five and six that they're building up to, who you're going to see a lot of in the Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania movie, is going to be Kang. And... You're starting to see Marvel slowly introduce things that have to do more with history, right? And this movie, Wakanda Forever, is going to touch on history. Well, in Werewolf by Night, they talk about how the Bloodstone family has been hunting monsters for a very long time. And how the Bloodstone grants its wielder long life and health and endurance and all these things. Well, they didn't exactly tell us how far back Ulysses Bloodstone and his family go in this role. They, they kind of leave it open-ended, and I think they do that on purpose, because Wakanda is a nation that has been around for a millennium. And what's going to be brought in here is the idea that Namor and his civilization is about as old as Wakanda's civilization. And who is the big villain of moving forward, but a time traveler. 
look, take away his name, take away all the other elements that go with, you know, he who remains and Loki and, and Kang and all these things. Focus on what's in front of you. What's in front of us is time traveler, weapons that we don't understand, like in Shang-Chi and in Miss Marvel, civilizations that have been harnessing and using things like vibranium for centuries and centuries. I mean, we don't know exactly how far back King and his time traveling goes. They say in Avengers Endgame that the quantum realm is a portal to all time and space. And they say in Quantum Mania that the quantum realm exists outside of the rest of reality. So the multiverse could be expanding and shrinking, expanding and shrinking. And it's not affecting the quantum realm because the quantum realm can take you anytime, any place. So who is to say that Kang might be responsible for the start of some of these civilizations? Furthermore, <laughs> uh, Namor in Marvel Comics is a mutant. And you already got introduced to the concept of mutants in Miss Marvel. And we know that in Phase 6 is coming uh, the Daredevil, uh, a Deadpool movie with Deadpool reprising his role. And they're going to bring Wolverine in, or at least a variant of Wolverine. So you're starting to introduce mutants. Okay, Namor, Deadpool, Miss Marvel, Wolverine. You already saw Professor X in the Doctor Strange movie. Well, what's Kang's role in all that? You know, in the comics, Kang had numerous confrontations with mutants over the years, and they historically were one of his foils over the centuries. In the comics, you know that one of the great foils to Kang was also the young Avengers, the kids of the Avengers. Well, in every Marvel property, they're introducing characters that either are in the um, young Avengers or they're introducing people who are connected with, work with the young Avengers. Like, for example, in Werewolf by Night, Elsa Bloodstone has worked with young Avengers. In Hawkeye, you're introduced to Kate Bishop. In uh, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, now Captain America and the Winter Soldier, you were introduced to Isaiah Bradley's grandson. He's going to be a young Avenger. Cassie Lang, the son, the daughter of Scott Lang, who gets a bigger role in the Quantum Media movie. She is a young Avenger. You are introduced to Wanda's children in both the WandaVision show and in uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Wanda's kids are young Avengers. You're being introduced to Ironheart in Wakanda Forever. Riri Williams, she is a young Avenger. You have all these young people that all of a sudden are popping up. Oh, of course, Miss Marvel, she'll be in there as well. Um, it's not a coincidence. This is a lot of ground building. This is a lot of foundational building. And the pile on, the Fantastic Four is coming. And in the comics, Kang is related familiarly to Reed Richards and the Fantastic Four family. So, 
There's a lot going on here. I get that. It's a lot to digest. But the point is, is that you have to treat all these properties like these are stories of introduction and transition and fleshing out of things that if you watch, like for anyone who watches Black Panther Wakanda Forever this weekend, if you didn't see previous Marvel shows and movies, you might feel a little out of place, okay? Um, and, you know, when I see the movie, I'll come on the pod next week, and I'll explain the movie as well with the spoilers and everything. Uh, but, you know, I, I intend to think that Marvel confirmed what I've been saying for over a year now. I've been saying this for almost two years, actually, that Phase 4 is all about foundation building. It's about building the future in the aftermath of Endgame. Don't forget, Avengers Endgame, was the culmination of over a decade of Marvel film and show and all this stuff. You're talking about from basically 2007 to 2019 was an arc of stories, and and they called it the Infinity Saga. Well, now we are in the midst of setting the groundwork for the Multiverse Saga, okay? And when the Multiverse Saga is done... There's going to be another, you know, bigger, you know, story arc. And what they're going to do is they're going to use a lot of the characters that you are being introduced to right now, plus the characters from the previous 12 years, all together. I think that's what excites me the most about Wakanda Forever this weekend is the fact that Wakanda Forever is going to be an amazing um, transition for those who loved Chadwick Boseman and the, and the Black Panther character, Marvel's not going to recast him. They are moving forward in a world without him. And it, I think it's actually going to be, this might be the largest grossing movie of the year. So far this year, um, in this calendar year, the largest grossing movies have been, um, you know, Black Adam for DC Comics. It's been Doctor Strange, The Multiverse of Madness, Thor, Love and Thunder. You know, all three of those were massive, um, high highest grossing movies this year. And you know, if you pull up um, the list, you know, you you realize that all the top grossing movies right now are all action movies. Okay, um, the only movie that's not purely an action movie that's making a lot of money was Minions, The Rise of Gru. Which probably has more action than most, you know, cartoon kids' movies do. But you go through the list of the top movies of 2022. Top Gun Maverick, by far number one. Jurassic World... Jurassic World was number two internationally. Doctor Strange was number two domestically. So it kind of gives you an idea of that. You know, the Batman for DC... That's a top five in 2022. Um, Thor, top 10, 2022. Black Adam, it's right on the outside, right outside the top 10, right? So action movies are, are still one of the biggest sellers, one of the biggest blockbusters on Earth. In fact, the only movie that's not uh, an action or an exciting movie in terms of that element was the Elvis movie. Domestically, that was a top 10 movie. Now, obviously, internationally, Elvis not a top 10 movie because... Probably half the world has no idea who Elvis is at this point. We're uh, we're so far removed. So, but the the larger point is, is that you know that's where we're at approaching 
Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And I think that people have to keep in mind that this movie is going to do very well because a lot of people have a, a cultural and emotional attachment to the characters in this movie. And I, I'm so curious to find out how do they take Shuri's character from being the sister and and the youngest of that family to her next tier in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? She's going to have a role with Riri Williams in her future as as um Ironheart. So, you know, how do they how do they work that all in? I'm curious to see what they do with Mbaku. Moving forward, from what I understand, he's going to have a huge role uh, in the MCU and with Wakanda moving forward. You know, you're going to see, uh, you know, the bringing back of Dora Milaje, the, the you know, top security team for Wakanda, like Okoye and Ao and Aneka and, and all these different characters. And the bigger thing is, I don't think people understand that this movie... The real villain is going to be Atuma. It's not people, you know, you can't trust Marvel trailers. That's the last thing I'll say. I get out of here. Marvel trailers are never in order. Don't treat the Marvel trailer as a literal explanation or preview of the movie. You have to treat the trailer like it's just a bunch of random highlights placed out of order. Okay? So don't let the trailer dictate how you think this thing um, is going to play out, all right? And I'm looking forward to see what Ryan Coogler, the director and one of the screenplay writers, is doing with this. Um, he did an amazing job with the first Black Panther, and I don't I don't think this will be as good as the first Black Panther, but I do think that you're going to see a lot in this movie that is going to give you some closure on certain things, and I think it's going to give you an understanding of what the future of the MCU is. I think that's um, that's what excites me the most. All right, this has been the Mutant Blitz Podcast. Thank you for watching on YouTube. Thank you for listening on um, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're catching the pod. Follow me on Twitter at Josh Hennig. Like, subscribe, share it with your friends. I'll be giving a spoilers review and explanation next week for Wakanda Forever. And then don't forget, after Thanksgiving, before Christmas, we will do the Guardians of the Galaxy explanation as well. There's so many uh, comic book things coming out. I believe the Titan show is coming out on HBO Max. I'll, I'll probably get into that at some point. So there's so much coming, but I wanted to get this pod in because, you know, I don't want to neglect what... What I I thought Werewolf by Night was fun. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was enjoyable. I thought it was a great uh, visual spectacle. You know, like I said, my only criticism was I felt they had done a little more fleshing out explanation of the characters, how they relate to each other. Um, you know, they did, they did a little fast and loose with certain elements of the characters' re, re, uh, relativity to each other. But I thought overall the story was fun. The visual was incredible. And I'm looking forward to seeing... Some of those characters, when they make appearances in future Marvel properties like uh, the Blade movie. So, I'm Josh Hennig again on Twitter at Josh Hennig. Josh Hennig here on YouTube. And of course, like, subscribe, give me a five star review, download, share with your friends, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. I'll get you next time.